Hello, and welcome back to Bible Beginning to End. I'm glad you're with us again for another reading through the scriptures. Last week, we ended with Noah and the ark and God making a new covenant with all of creation. We're going to pick up where we left off starting in Genesis 10 and see where humanity goes after Noah and the flood. God has said, repopulate the earth. And we are going to see some of those people and important figures in our faith. Today, we're going to read Genesis 10 through 17 to see another covenant God makes with Abram. We are going to walk through the beginning of his story right up until the point God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. As always, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I will be pausing to pose questions along the way, but the main point of this is for you to listen to these scriptures and use my questions as a jumping off point to let the Holy Spirit lead and help you interpret God's word as it is presented. So let's start in Genesis 10. As we begin Genesis 10, think about how it naturally flows from Genesis 9, where we were talking about Noah and his sons after Noah has passed away. We're getting another account of descendants, this time descendants of Noah's children. Remember, these are long lists of names, just like we got a list of Adam's descendants earlier in Genesis. And as we read through these names... Just remember that as important as these names are to God, your name is also important to God. He knows each of these characters, each of these people by name, but he also knows you by name. And when we put our faith in him, we are written into his family, adopted into his family. Just as we see these people being born into a family, we are born into God's family. So let's begin with Genesis 10. This is the account of the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. Many children were born to them after the great flood. Descendants of Japheth. The descendants of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tabal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The descendants of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Raphath, and Tagarma. The descendants of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Rodanim. Their descendants became the seafaring peoples that spread out to various lands, each identified by its own language, clan, and national identity. Pause and think about how this list of names and descendants confirms the new covenant that God made with Noah in the previous chapter. Verse 6, Descendants of Ham. The descendants of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The descendants of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sapta, Rama, and Sabteca. The descendants of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Cush was also the ancestor of Nimrod, who was the first heroic warrior on earth. Since he was the greatest hunter in the world, his name became proverbial. People would say, This man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. He built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia, with the cities of Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna. From there, he expanded his territory to Assyria, building the cities of Nineveh, Rehobothur, Kala, and Rezin. 
the great city located between Nineveh and Kala. Mizraim was the ancestor of the Luddites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtahites, Pathrasites, Kazlahites, and the Kaphtarites, from whom the Philistines came. Canaan's oldest son was Sidon, the ancestor of the Sidonians. Canaan was also the ancestor of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zimmerites, and Hamathites. The Canaanite clans eventually spread out, and the territory of Canaan extended from Sidon in the north to Gerar and Gaza in the south and east, as far as Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim near Lasha. These were the descendants of Ham, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. Pause and notice that that phrase in verse 20 was also spoken about the descendants of Japheth. Think about the world as it is now and how we are all identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. This is where that began, back with Noah and the ark and his descendants. The next section is the descendants of Shem. Verse 21. Sons were also born to Shem, the older brother of Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the descendants of Eber. The descendants of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphazad, Lud, and Aram. The descendants of Aram were Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arphazad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Eber had two sons. The first was named Peleg, which means division. For during his lifetime, the people of the world were divided into different language groups. His brother's name was Jokta. Jokta was the ancestor of Almadad, Sheleth, Hazarmapheth, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Afer, Havilah, and Jabob. All these were descendants of Joktan. The territory they occupied extended from Mesha all the way to Sefer in the eastern mountains. These were the descendants of Shem, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. These are the clans that descended from Noah's sons, arranged by nation according to their lines of descent. All the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. Chapter 11 The Tower of Babel At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Pause and imagine what you think the world might be like if we all spoke the same language. Verse 2 As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves, with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Pause and ask yourself, are they making something that honors God or honors themselves? Verse 5. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages then they won't be able to understand each other. Pause here and ask yourself, why is God punishing the people in Babylonia? 
Are they unifying themselves to honor God and live a holy life? Or are they unifying together to honor themselves? Are they unifying in their sinful nature? Compare this to the Garden of Eden when the original sin happened. Did Adam and Eve unify themselves to eat the fruit so that they could honor God? Or did they unify themselves and eat the fruit to honor themselves and fulfill their sinful desires? Verse 8. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Our next section is another line of descendants. This time it's the line of descent from Shem to Abram. This is the account of Shem's family. Two years after the great flood, when Shem was a hundred years old, he became the father of Arphazad. After the birth of Arphazad, Shem lived another 500 years, and he had other sons and daughters. When Arphazad was 35 years old, he became the father of Shelah. After the birth of Shelah, Arphazad lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah was 30 years old, he became the father of Eber. After the birth of Eber, Shelah lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber was 34 years old, he became the father of Peleg. After the birth of Peleg, Eber lived another 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg was 30 years old, he became the father of Reu. After the birth of Reu, Peleg lived another 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu was 32 years old, he became the father of Sarug. After the birth of Sarug, Reu lived another 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug was 30 years old, he became the father of Nahor. After the birth of Nahor, Sarug lived another 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor was 29 years old, he became the father of Terah. After the birth of Terah, Nahor lived another 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, the family of Terah. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died while still in Haran. So that is a lot of family history leading up to the story of Abram. Pause and ask yourself, why does God include this history? What does it show about our own family history and how important our ancestors are in our lives? Is that still relevant today? Ask yourself these questions. Chapter 12, The Call of Abram. 
The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Pause and ask yourself how you would respond if God came to you and said, Leave your native country, your relatives, everything you've ever known, and go where I tell you. How do you think Abram is going to respond? Let's see, verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Okay, so let's pause and do another comparison. Think back to Noah when God asks him to build the ark because he's sending a great flood to the earth. How did Noah respond? How long did it take Noah to say, yes, Lord? Now look at Abram. God asks Abram to leave his family and everything he's ever known. How long did it take Abram to say, yes, Lord? Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Pause and compare Abram's altar to the altar they were trying to build in Babel. What are Abram's intentions there? Who is he honoring with this altar? Verse 8. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. Abram and Sarai in Egypt. Verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Let's pause and take a moment to guess how this might turn out for Abram. Is he telling the truth or is he living in fear and bending the truth, telling a lie? Verse 14. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. All right, so let's pause right here. We made our guess. Let's see how it's going so far. So far, everything's happening just as Abram predicted, and he's getting a lot of worldly possessions because of the lie he told. But is he getting any blessings from God because of the lie he told? Verse 17. 
But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. Pause and ask yourself, how did it turn out once the Lord got involved? At first, when Abram is receiving all these gifts from Pharaoh, what might he be thinking? But then it shifts. What does the Lord send? Does he send worldly gifts? Does he praise Abram? Does he bless Abram for telling this lie? Or does he punish him? What might Abram be thinking once the plagues come and Pharaoh banishes him? And what might this story of Abram deceiving Pharaoh teach us? Abram is someone who was called by God. But does that mean that he was not sinful? Does that mean he could not fall to his worldly desires? And does that mean he was above rebuke from the Lord? Chapter 13. Abram and Lot Separate So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into Negev along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. What is the significance of Abram continually pausing to worship the Lord? Verse 5, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, We are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Pause and think about how Abram handled this situation, this conflict. Did he shy away? Or did he face it and have a conversation head on? Was he generous? or stingy with the land. Verse 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord, or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west, 
I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. God has given Abram many blessings and promises in this section. And how does Abram respond? Remind yourself what he does at the end of this section and what he's done many times through what we've been reading today. Chapter 14. Abram Rescues Lot. About this time, war broke out in the region. King Amraphel of Babylonia, King Arioch of Elisar, King Keterleomer of Elam, and King Tidal of Goim fought against King Bera of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adma, King Shemaber of Zeboim, and the King of Bela, also called Zoar. The second group of kings joined forces in Siddim Valley, that is, the Valley of the Dead Sea. For twelve years, they had been subject to King Keterleomer, but in the thirteenth year, they rebelled against him. One year later, Keterleomer and his allies arrived and defeated the Rephaites at Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzites at Ham, the Emites at Shava Kuriathiam, and the Horites at Mount Seir, as far as El Paran at the edge of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, now called Kadesh, and conquered all the territory of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites living in Hazazan Tamar. Then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, also called Zoar, prepared for battle in the valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Keterleomer of Elam, King Tidal of Goam, King Amraphel of Babylonia, and King Arioch of Eleazar, four kings against five. As it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits, and as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into the tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom, and carried off everything he owned, but one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives, Eskel and Aner, were Abram's allies. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Keterleomer's army until he caught up with them at Dan. Then he divided his men and attacked during the night. Keterleomer's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. Pause and ask yourself, why do you think it was so important to Abram that he rescue his nephew? What does that show about Abram's character? Next section is Melchizedek blesses Abram, verse 17. After Abram returned from his victory over Keterleomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shevev. 
that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Let's pause and listen to that blessing one more time. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Who does Melchizedek put at the forefront of that blessing? Who has the power? Is it Abram? Or is it God? Verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Pause and ask yourself what that reveals about Melchizedek. Verse 22. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take as much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. Pause and ask yourself what Abram is prioritizing with his response. Again, what does this reveal about his character? Chapter 15 The Lord's Covenant Promise to Abram Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliza of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Pause and remember that God has before promised Abram that his descendants will be countless. But is Abram having trouble believing it at the beginning of this section? God has to remind him, my promises are true. What does this show us about faith in God? What does this show us about patience? Because Abram has been waiting for a child, for the child promised by God. His urgency is probably similar to the urgency the entire world felt waiting for the promise of a savior, waiting for the promise of God's child to come to the earth and save us all. Verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. 
to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it again? Abram is questioning God's promises. Abram, this great man of faith, still desires assurance. Verse 9, The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you... You will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That day, and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cardmanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. We've talked about covenants before. Where have we seen a covenant? With God and Noah. And have we seen through these chapters today, through Noah's descendants, that God has kept that promise? What does it mean then here that God has made this covenant guarantee with Abram? Will God keep this covenant? Does God keep his covenants? We'll see as the story unfolds, but I think you know the answer. Chapter 16, The Birth of Ishmael Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So let's pause here. We just went from God making a covenant with Abram, promising him descendants, promising him land for those descendants. How does Abram respond? Does this show that he and Sarai trust in the Lord? Abram, again, was chosen by God, but is he immune to sin? Can he make mistakes? Can he stumble? Verse 4. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. 
I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Let's pause again and compare this section with the Garden of Eden. We're playing another blame game. Sarai comes up with this idea, but it hasn't gone her way. And how is she reacting? Is this a sign of sin? Does this show how sin can affect our emotions? Verse 6, Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road of Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So let's pause and think about Hagar's story. She said, God is the one who sees me. How did God show Hagar grace? And also think about times in your life when you felt like, yes, God sees me. How beautiful is it that God sees me? Let's go into our last chapter for today because this is going to be the turning point for Abram. Chapter 17, Abram is named Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. From generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. So what do we see in this covenant? What is finally coming to fruition that Abram has been waiting for? And what does Abram do during this covenant proclamation from God? 
Who is the active voice in this section? Who is doing the commanding and doing the promising? And then who is the passive voice? Who's falling down to the ground? I also want you to think about the significance of changing Abram's name. Why do you think Abram needed a new name? The Mark of the Covenant. Then God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Think about this covenant and what it symbolizes, what the actual act of cutting off the old to symbolize the new would mean for God's people. Also, we're constantly reading this book, looking forward to the New Testament and God's new covenant through Jesus. What has replaced this physical covenant once Jesus comes and dies for our sins? The next section is called, Sarai is named Sarah. Verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Pause and ask yourself, why do you think Sarai also had to change her name? Verse 17. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So again, in this moment, does Abraham trust God? Does he believe him, or is he still struggling to trust that God will give him descendants? As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. What does this promise for Ishmael tell us about the Lord? Does he forget us, or does he remember his promises to us? But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskin, just as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And Ishmael, his son, was 13. Both Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on that same day, 
along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born there or bought as servants, all were circumcised with him. As we end this section, think about Abraham's response to this covenant. How does he react? What does he do and how quickly does he do it? This was a lot of information today. We covered many chapters and we covered a very important covenant God makes in the scriptures. As we go forward next time, we're going to step into more of Abraham's life and see how God fulfills this covenant. So I hope you enjoyed today's readings. You can read them again for yourself and really meditate on them. Really think about these questions that we've asked today and let God's spirit reveal to you what he's saying and what this history of his people means to us today. And I will talk to you in the next one.